to God in worship. So worship is always a response of the kingdom. Worship in its very nature is a kingdom response. But look at verse 18, the explicit mention of the kingdom here. This is Moses and Miriam, and it's like this spontaneous song. They didn't have this crafted. This is just what came out. The Lord will reign. Not only that, he'll reign forever and ever. That's a good word. And it makes sense. Water on your left, water on your right, dry ground. Dead bodies everywhere. The Lord will reign forever and ever. All right. So that's kind of the, uh, the first explicit mention of the kingdom in Scripture. But that first explicit mention of the kingdom there, it's kind of the climax. It's one of the climaxes in the book of Exodus. And it's the first climax in the story. And you guys know the story. It's the, it's the story of the Exodus. So we need to turn back. I want you to turn back to chapter 3. Because in the kingdom, nothing begins without first a proclamation. The kingdom announcement. So we're going to look at the kingdom announcement here in, in chapter 3. And you guys already know what chapter 3 is about, most of you. Chapter 3 is where Moses meets the Lord in the burning bush. All of us remember that? Moses, he's out with his father. He's out with his father-in-law's herd, I should say. And they're out in the wilderness, and they're next to Horeb, next to the mountain of God. And while he's out there herding sheep and goats and you know, goodness knows what else, he sees a bush, and the bush is burning, but it's not consumed. And um, just as a side note, just as I've been preparing this week, it's one of the prayers of my life. I've been praying all week, Lord, make me a bush that's on fire but not consumed. Father, I want to burn with your presence. And I, I just I want, to eternal, I want to be that bush, Father. You know, I just, it's been one of those things that's been in my spirit. I've been like, Lord, fill me up. Set me on fire. Let me burn and not be consumed. But anyway, the Father... Back to the point here. The father is in this bush. It's quite a thing. And it, Mo, it catches Moses' eye. And maybe he runs off and he leaves the herd. And when he goes up and he meets, and he goes up and he meets this bush, uh, I love what happens here. The bush talks to him. It's not like a normal bush. This, book's, this bush talks. And, and it, it, it tells Moses his plan. He basically tells Moses, hey, guys, I'm the father. I'm the God of your father, Isaac, uh, Jacob. <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm that guy. Moses falls down on his face. He says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Well, here's what's going on, though. So Moses encounters the God, uh, the God in the burning bush. It's his, uh, it's, his, it's, his, it's his ancestral God. And when he does this, God gives him the plan and says, Moses, I know you've been running from Egypt, but I want you to go back, and I want you to take all of your brothers and sisters away from the hand of Pharaoh. Now, by the, by the way, y'all, Pharaoh is the most powerful person on the planet right now, okay? Re realize Moses is out in the middle of the desert herding sheep and goats. You just have to get a picture of this. He's, he's herding sheep and goats, and he's been gone for 40 years. He's dirty. His feet stink. His clothes are not cool. And, and the Lord speaks to him out of, a, out of a, you know, a, a bowel of fire that's not consuming the bush. A voice comes out and says, hey, by the way, I want you to go back to your original people, and I want you to take them away from the most powerful man on the planet. Moses says, I'm not too sure about this, and here's what I want us to look at first of all. Look at verse 11. But Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring all the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, here's what I really love. Verse 12. And God says, I will be with you. Well, that sounds good. And this will be the sign. We like signs, right? Most people like signs. That sounds good. I will be with you, and this is the sign that it is I who have sent you. This is the sign, you all. 
when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So the sign is you've over, you, you, you won. Go get, your, go get your people, go get your ancestral people from the most powerful man on the planet. And by the way, I'm going to be with you, and the sign that I'm with you is you do it. <laughs> Comforting, right? That's the way the kingdom works, first off. I mean, that's just, this is, I want you all to realize, th this entire Exodus narrative is commentary on the kingdom. And it's not only that, but it's commentary on the king. I'm going to be with you, and by the way, the sign that I'm with you is that you'll have success in what I'm asking you to do. Okay. Moses is not okay with this sign. <laughs> the reason we laugh is because we know that if we were there, we wouldn't be okay with that sign either. Be like, dude, I am dirty. I stink. I don't have, I, I'm not highly fashionable right now. I've been hanging out with goats for the last 40 years, and I'm going to go deliver people from the, from the most powerful man on the planet. So this is what Moses says to God. Moses says to God, because he's not okay with the sign, he says, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now here's where it gets really good. This is the part where, where, where God begins, begins to make a kingdom announcement, even though it doesn't necessarily sound like a kingdom announcement. Moses says, God, I'm really not okay with your, with your sign. Can we, can we rework the sign? What if the, people, what if the people ask me what your name is? What am I going to tell them? And this is what the Lord says to him. He says to him, he answers them this way. He says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is bizarre, right? I mean, when you really slow down and read this, you go, what? I am. I am sent me to you. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. So here we have it. Moses is not okay with the sign. He says, Father, I want to know. Tell me what your name is that I might go back to the Israelites. And when Moses is asking God for his name, what he's really saying is, God, give me your personal name. Your personal name. It's almost like Moses is asking God for his first name. You see, God all through the scriptures, especially in the book of Genesis, is continually referred to as, when God speaks about himself, he says, you know, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even when other people talk about God, they refer to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it's almost like, the God, that phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it gives us some idea who he is. It's almost like our family name. You know, everybody here has a last name, right? God's last name is the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what I want to suggest to you is when, when Moses asked God, God, tell me your name. Who am I to say is sending me? God, Moses is asking God for his first name, his personal name. Now, let me tell you something about names, especially this, with this group of people in this time in history. Names were not just things that sounded good, you know? A lot of times these days we name our kids and we just, we try to find something that sounds cool, you know? No grab, no, you know, no guilt, whatever. But back in this day, when a person was named, a, a name wasn't just what you called them, and it, it wasn't just something that sounded good. A name embodied, it was oftentimes prophetic. It oftentimes spoke prophetically about what that person would be, and it embodied their character and it embodied their nature. All right, and let's just think even through the book of uh, the, through the book of Genesis really quickly. 
Eve. Y'all know what Eve means? She's the first, she's the first wife, the first wife of Adam. Eve means mother of creation. Makes sense, huh? It, it embodies her character. It embodies her nature. There's something about it. Let's move on a little forward. Abraham. Well, Abraham's first name was Abram. Abram means exalted father, except he didn't have any kids. He meets the Lord, and the Lord renames him what? Abraham, which means what? Father of nations. It's a prophetic declaration on who that person is, and it, and it forever sets something into their, into their, into their person, and it's, it's a permanent prophetic call to their, to their nature and to their destiny and their calling. See, names, names mean something different in here. Let's think even one generation further. Abraham has a son. His name is Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Isaac means laughter. Why, does I, why did they name Isaac Isaac? Because they, they named him laughter because uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, she didn't believe the Lord when the Lord came to her and told Abraham that you're going to have a son in your old age. And when the Lord told her, she started laughing. See, there's something that was set on Isaac forever, and it embodied. It wasn't just, oh, this is what we'll know him by. It, 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 was, it was really personal, and it forever set. There was something about them. That's why, that's why our names are so important. Let's go one generation further. What about Jacob? Y'all remember Jacob? Y'all know, you guys know what Jacob means? Jacob means deceiver. It means heel grabber. It means supplanter. It means trickster. It means slick. It means this is the guy you don't want to meet. That's what it means, literally. And why did Jacob get that name? He got that name for a couple reasons. Because when he was, out, when he was coming out of his mother's womb, he was second. And literally, he was hanging on to his older brother Esau's heel. He was grabbing onto it. And it was this prophetic sign that was already beginning to take place in his life. It was already beginning to take form and take shape. And so his mother and his father, and they name him Jacob. And then what's the, what, what happens throughout Jacob's life? He is continually tricking and supplanting and deceiving one person after another, the first of which being his father and his brother for the birthright. There's something about names. And so, and so Moses comes to God and says, who am, I, who am I to say has sent me? And when he says that, he's saying, God, I want to know. He's not just saying, I want to know your name. He's not even just saying, I want to know your first name. He's saying, God, I want to know your nature. Who is it that's sending me? Give me the specific details here. And so when God answers him, he's not answering him with more information. He's not giving him another name and a long list of names to call him so that we can do some sort of like spiritual voodoo and use this name when we need it at this time. You all know what I'm saying? God is giving his, God is, when God responds to Moses on this hill in front of the burning bush, when God calls out from that ball of fire, he is giving him his name. And it's not just his name. He is speaking to Moses his nature. He's speaking to Moses his character. Because names mean something. And, and by the way, parents, man, when, when you name your children, it's, it's the first opportunity you have to, to prophesy over them for the rest of their life. It's the reason we named our son River. We just, we just wanted to forever prophesy that, that River was going to move in the spirit. And so it's part of the, you know, for me and Heather, it's just as parents, it's part of the prophetic declaration that we've put over our son forever. This is River. He's going to move in the spirit wherever he goes. And so, you know, names are important. So God calls out to Moses, and he tells him, he tells him his name, and he responds by saying, I am who I am. This is God's personal name. And um, in the text here, when, when God speaks his personal name, I am, 
Um, the Hebrew for this name is really, there's a lot of mystery even locked up in the Hebrew for this name. The letters of it are, are literally just Y-H-W-H, and the consonants are gone. And, and uh, the truth of the matter is no one even is for sure how to pronounce this name. It got lost over time because the name was considered so holy that it would go, there were centuries where, where few would even pronounce it. And so they would just drop the consonants and it's just Y-H-W-H. And, and uh, you know, in, in your Bible, uh, um, if it's, when you're reading your Bible, if you ever see Lord and it's not just one L capitalized, but all four letter, letters in Lord are capitalized, that's this name. It's, it's the holy, sacred, first and personal name of God. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, a lot of times you guys have heard the name Yahweh. That's just, that's just how we guess we might pronounce it, you know. But even now, no one knows for sure because it's locked in mystery. It's been, it's so sacred. There was just something sacred about it. And so God responds to him and he says, tell them that I am has sent you. Here's the thing, here's the thing about when God says to Moses, tell them that I am has sent you. God's name, I am, I am who I am. There's so much nuance in there. First off, it comes from the Hebrew word. It comes from the verb. It's a derivative of the Hebrew verb, to be. Now, just think about that. God's personal name is a verb. I mean, you, I want you guys, sometime this week, I want you to, to meditate on the fact that God's personal name is, is linked intrinsically to a verb. Now, you know, in, in, in English, some of you guys are English teachers. Na you know, proper names are nouns, right? God's proper name is a verb. Now, I want you to just let that wash over. You need to meditate on some of this this week because it, it, it's, it's astonishing. And it says so much about who God is and the God that we serve. And it tells us something really important about his character. The fact that God's name is a verb at its root, it's a verb. What does that tell us? He's about action. And he's about certain kinds of action. And so God says, I am. And here's the other thing about this phrase, I am. It, it's, it's, a, it's linked in a verb, but it can be translated in any tense. It's not locked into any tense. It, it speaks to past, it speaks to present, and it speaks to future. When God says, I am, he's, he's saying three things at once. He's saying, I was who I was, I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. He sets outside of space and time. When God says, I am, what he's really saying is, I depend on no other. I want you to think with me for a minute. Think, think in your mind. If you need to close your eyes, fine, do it. If you don't, if you're really talented, don't. But think with me for, for a minute. Think before the earth. And think before the stars. And think before the galaxies. And go back to when there was just God. Everybody there? What was before God? Nothing. God has always been. He doesn't, he doesn't need or depend on anyone to exist. Think about your own self. I'll, I'll use me for an example. For me to exist, there was a partnership that had to happen between my mother and my father. And there were a thousand other scenarios in my house growing up that have, that have, in, that have enabled me to become and have imparted to me personality. And so I'm here because my mom and dad partnered together who partnered for God no one partnered for God when you go back before galaxies when you go back before stars when you go back before this planet existed God was there and you can't go past him because he always was and you know what 
this whole line of thought, it's encapsulated in his name, I am. I am. I depend on no one. It's a statement of his power. Can y'all hear that? Do y'all already see that? It's a statement of his power and his absolute need of no one. He depends on no one or thing. He just is. I am. I also love the fact that, that, that his name, it, enca- it encapsulates past, present, and future. I was who I was, I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. It's a statement about his faithfulness. Can y'all hear that in there? God doesn't change. The scriptures, the scriptures are full of this statement over and over. You know, the God of heaven, he doesn't change. James says, you know, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. In him there's no shifting and no shadow, no turning. He doesn't change. There's something about him, and it's locked in his name. Y'all see that? Just like Jacob was a deceiver and a heel grabber, God says, I am. I depend on no one. I just am. I am past. I am present. I am future. I am faithful through all generations. And it's encapsulated in his name. Here's the other thing about God's name. God was not influenced. Because I was who I was. I am who I am and I will be who I will be. God has not been influenced. Another thing about this name, I am, it carries with it this connotation of of becoming present. That verb that's located in God's name, I am, that verb, uh, you'll find it through the scriptures, and one of the places that you'll find it most often is, especially when you're reading the prophets, you know how you'll read the prophets, especially at the beginning of the book, and it says the word of the Lord came to them? You guys can look this up a little bit later if you want to, but in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 3, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. That word came, it, came, it became present. It's lo- it, that's also a nuance locked in the name of God. God, God it, it, He exists, He depends on no one, and He's the becoming present one. And so when God speaks to Moses from the burning bush, and when he speaks his name to Moses, what he is saying to Moses is this, I have entered the situation. When God speaks to him, I am, he is saying, I have entered the situation. Then there's also the context. And the context is important because words have meaning in contexts. And uh, what is the context into which God reveals his name to Moses? What's the context? What's the, what's, why are they meeting together? The reason that they're meeting together and, and the context for God speaking his personal name to Moses is the, is the mistreatment of his chosen people Israel. And so that says something about who God is at his nature, and it says something about his name. So let's go on. Exodus chapter 2, 23 through 25. I want us to read some of the context here. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God speaks his personal name to Moses in this context. Exodus chapter 3. Verse 7 and verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, I have indeed, 
indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down, verse 8 is awesome, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of God, from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of the land into a good land, a spacious land, and a land flowing with milk and honey. What are we seeing here? We're seeing that God has entered the situation, and He's entered the situation because He's heard the cries of His people. What does that tell us about the nature of God? He's merciful, and He cares. So the context of His name is the suffering of His people. Into this situation, God speaks His personal name, and so the whole chapter, all of chapter 3, is a commentary on God's name. And so if we were to, if we were to take all of this, past, present, future, and if we, were to, if we were to stuff all of the nuance into uh, all of the nuance that's in the meaning of God's name into, into one sentence, it would look like this. This is, uh, this is from Derek Morphew, who's a really smart guy. This is the way he would say it about God's name. He says it this way. I was, I am, and I will be from generation to generation, the becoming present one coming down into the situation of man to deliver and to transform from bondage to liberty. That's pretty good, isn't it? I, what, this is the name of God. When you, say, when you call out to God and he answers back, this is the guy who's coming. The, the great I was, the great I am, and I will be from generation to generation, the becoming present one, coming down into the situation of man to deliver and to transform from bondage to liberty. Man, that's good. God's power, God's supreme authority, his faithfulness, his love, his mercy, his deliverance, they're all in his name. And for God to reveal or to speak his name is to announce the kingdom. That's where I really wanted to get this morning. God's love, his mercy, his care, his compassion, God's faithfulness, his supreme power, his self-existence, his sovereignty, it's all contained in his name. And so for God to speak his name is to announce the kingdom. It's a, the name of God in itself is a kingdom proclamation. So, there it is, part one. When God meets with Moses, there's kingdom announcement. Part two, there's kingdom intervention. And here's the thing about kingdom intervention that, that, that we'll see this morning. Kingdom intervention is, is something that is, uh, that is constantly associated with conflict. How many of y'all like conflict? Y'all love it, right? Y'all love it. You know, a lot of times, uh, a lot of times we, we pray a lot of times, God, would you let your kingdom come here? Uh, any of y'all ever pray that? Father, let your kingdom come. Any, any of y'all ever, ever get up in the morning? I know a lot of you guys do this, actually. Any of y'all ever get up and just say, God, let your kingdom come? And, or maybe even in the church service, we, we pray something like this. Father, let your kingdom break out among us this morning. We, we've all done that, right? You know what we're actually asking for? Father, would you release conflict into the room? That's what we're actually asking for. We're asking for the God of heaven to come and to confront everything that isn't the kingdom and to put it in its right place. And the only way that happens is through conflict. I'm not necessarily talking about personal conflict here this morning, but even though it will sometimes take the form of relational conflict, what I'm really talking about is the conflict of spiritual powers. And so when God speaks to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, Moses and Moses is going to partner with God, and when he partners with God to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt, what he's really going to do is he's going to be in constant conflict with who? 
Pharaoh and the demonic powers that are behind Pharaoh, keeping that government established. So when God says to Moses, I'm going to break into this situation, what he's really saying is, I'm going to break into Pharaoh. And so the kingdom comes. And when the kingdom comes, and this is the thing we just have to settle in our heart, especially those of us who want to be committed followers of Jesus, especially for those of us who want to live a life of overcoming. If you want to be an overcomer, you're going to have to overcome something. And so there's, there's this dynamic tension that will exist for everyone in the room who wants to follow Jesus, for everyone in the room who wants to see the kingdom come. You have to become comfortable with conflict. It happens. It happens. I'll just tell you guys a side story. Some of you guys have experienced this, probably a lot of you. Um, but but any time, any time I have uh, any time I have a uh, any time I have an important message to give, or any time uh, the Lord opens up an opportunity for me to go somewhere and do some ministry or something, before I go, all hell breaks loose at my house. Any of y'all ever experienced some of that? How many of y'all have ever experienced? You, you, maybe, maybe you got touched by God at some place. Maybe you went to some weekend service. You get touched by God. God speaks to you, and he reaffirms his call and, and, and destiny over your life. And when he reaffirms it, you say yes. Everybody in here done that? You do, on Sunday morning, you say yes. There's just a complete yes in your heart. What happens on Monday? All hell breaks loose. Why? Because you've aligned yourself with the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven is diametrically opposed with everything that is not the kingdom of heaven. And so you just, when you say yes to the Lord, you just said yes to battle. And so we just kind of have to kind of get used to some of that. To say kingdom of God is to say something about power, is to say something about battle, conquest, and victory. This is why when Jesus was, was ministering on the earth, Jesus gets baptized by John in the Jordan. Holy Spirit comes out of him. Heaven opens up. Dove comes down, settles on him. Voice speaks from the clouds. This is my beloved son. I'm well pleased with him. Do everything he says. Y'all remember that? How many of y'all would like to have a, an encounter with the Lord like that? Man, I would love to have an encounter with the Lord like that. Heaven opens up. Light comes on. Power of the Holy Spirit. You know, in one of the Gospels it says the Spirit came and didn't just come, but it remained. Pretty good stuff, right? Y'all know what happens, I mean, like immediately, the next following thing that happens? Jesus is in the desert with who? The devil. See, there's just something about kingdom conflict. And so it's the reason that even in Jesus' own ministry, he's the bringer of the kingdom. And every time he shows up, the first thing that he meets is almost always some demonized person. And so Jesus goes about kicking demons out of people, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, and preaching good news to the poor. You know, there's this, there's, this, there's this desire sometimes that some of us would like. We want to have encounter, but we don't want to live in conflict. I want to live in glory, but I don't want to live in conflict. I want to meet the Lord in the burning bush. I want the dove to fall on me. I want to hear the voice from heaven. I want to have the Father's approval on my life. But am I willing to endure conflict? I mean, this is really the question. It's one of the main questions. Here's the deal, you all. Power always comes with a purpose. If you have a power encounter, it's because God is going to put purpose on your life, and the purpose is going to lead you, most likely, into opposition.
Here's the other thing I've noticed. A lot of times when we encounter God in power, everything that's not the kingdom becomes evident. Have, have you guys ever realized that? You encounter God in a powerful way, and, and things that you were completely unaware of, you become suddenly aware of. This is not right. There's something about the kingdom that brings order. And that comes from being with God. Here's the other thing I want you all to notice about this kingdom intervention. God tells Moses, I'm going to intervene. I'm going to intervene in power. And um, by the way, Moses, I'm going to intervene with you. And uh, I know I've talked about it quite a bit here, but it's just something we can't ever lose sight of. Anything that God does in the earth, he does it through partnership. Even the deliverance of his people, he does it through partnership. Um, God could have just as easily shown up in a great cloud and a great fireball and he could have just as easily gone into Pharaoh's room in the night and he could have he could have he could have come in a man on fire literally burning in Pharaoh's room with a sword in one hand and a hatchet in the other and he could have said you're going to let my people go right now or it's off with your head God could have done that right but he didn't and the fact that he didn't says something about God and it says something about his intention for you and I God chose Moses to go and to speak to Pharaoh. And, and, and so one of the things I want us to see this morning is that, that God is just, he's just all about purpose. He's, he's just all about partnership. He's just all about partnership. To meet with God for 30 years and to never partner with him on anything would lead me to ask the question, did you ever really meet with God? To meet with God for 30 years and to never to never experience the call of God for the oppressed would cause me to ask the question, did we meet with God? Because God is always going to partner with people. Always. He just always does. Even in Jesus' earthly ministry, he could have done it by himself, but he didn't. He, got, he gathered 12 around him. What's he saying there? He's saying, I, I, there's something about partnership that I want to, I want to do this with you. It says something about what it means to actually be human as well. I can just tell you right now, one of the purposes and the will of God for everyone in this room, the purpose and the will of God for everyone in this room, though it may take a thousand manifestations and though it may show up a thousand ways, is to be a person who encounters him and then goes out and, and leads other people into deliverance. I mean, that's just, we encounter God and then we go out and we, and we, we take the kingdom with us everywhere we go. And so when kingdom intervention begins, and it begins with Moses, and, um, and there's two levels of kingdom intervention, especially here in the, uh, in the book of Exodus. There's the spiritual invisible battle, and then there's the visible military battle. And the first that comes is the spiritual invisible battle. And um, there's, a, there's a bit of a principle there for us. A lot of times, uh, a lot of times when we're, when we're uh, bringing the kingdom, and a lot of times when there's some kingdom opposition, uh, the kingdom comes first in the spiritual and the invisible realm. You win it in the, the spiritual, invisible realm, and then you'll win, win it in the physical, military realm. Okay? And so here's how it comes. Turn to chapter 7. This is such a cool one. You'll remember this from the movie. This is, this is the intervention of God for his chosen people, Israel. Turn to chapter 7 and uh, roll up to about verse 10. This is with Aaron's staff. 
And so Moses and Aaron, they're before Pharaoh. The whole court is there. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Now, this is wild stuff. This is for the movie. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's, Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. What's the point here? Aaron throws his staff down. It becomes a snake. The magicians come in. They do the same thing. Aaron's staff, Aaron's snake goes over and eats the other snakes. What's the message that Pharaoh should have gotten right there? Yeah, that's the thing. The message is plain. The message is this. The God of Israel is going to swallow up the gods of Egypt. It's just that plain. And so it's this invisible battle begins to take form. The gods of Egypt, they're going to be swallowed up by the God of Israel. Here's the cool thing. The cool thing is this, that after this encounter, God begins to systematically destroy every one of the Egyptian gods. He, he goes on a rampage. It starts in the court with a snake swallowing up their staffs, but then, then God just decides, well, I'm going to systematically take out all of their gods, one by one. And so the ten plagues come, and it's not, the plagues, the plagues are working at two levels. It's not just about gaining the focus of Pharaoh. It's about, it's about God saying something to Pharaoh about the gods of Egypt. Here's what I mean by that. One of the, one of the most of you guys probably realize this, but e Egypt was, was a polytheistic society. They had many gods, and, and one of their gods lived in the Nile River, and, and, and that god's name was High P. High pie. I don't know. High pie. We'll call it high pie, okay? So high pie lives in the Nile River. High pie lives in the Nile River. Furthermore, the Nile River is sacred. I mean, the people at least realize this is where our sustenance comes from. And what's the first plague that God sets upon Egypt? The Nile becomes blood. What's the message? High pie is dead. That's the message. The first message is the God of Israel will swallow up the gods of Egypt. The second message is high pie is dead. And so God begins to systematically depose each of these gods. Second plague. Y'all remember this? Frogs begin to multiply. If you, read the, if you read the story, the frogs are just everywhere. Imagine frogs in your bed. It's been a long day. You, yeah, this is... This is what I've been thinking about all week. I've been thinking about this. It's been a long day. You, you've spent your week wading through frogs. You can't hardly do your work because the frogs are everywhere. Even to walk down the street, you're, you're knee-deep in frogs. Think about how <laughs> hard it would be to walk. You're knee-deep in frogs, and you get home, and you're just you're so tired, and you want to go to bed, and you just want to crawl up and cuddle with your wife, and there's frogs in your bed. It's a great life, right? Well, there was a God in Egypt. Man, this is going to be no better. <laughs> and this God's name was Hekit. And Hekit's symbol was the frog, and, and, and Hekit was the goddess of fertility. She blessed the crops. She blessed the cattle. She, she, blessed, she blessed the people. She, she, just, she, she was the goddess of fertility and prosperity. Well, what's the message? 
hey, Kit has multiplied and she's become a burden to us. If you go back and read the story, this is what ends up happening. All, Moses ends up praying after Pharaoh says, hey, I can't take any more of this praise. All the frogs die and they begin to stink. And now what's the message? Hey, Kit has become a stench in all of Israel. What's the other message? Hey, Kit is dead. She didn't help our crops. She didn't help our cattle. She didn't help our kids. She's dead. And it's the God of Israel just pounding. We'll skip ahead to the fifth plague. In the fifth plague, all of the livestock, all of the livestock die. All of the livestock die. And, and here's, where, here's where God begins to just bash some heads again. Because the bull, the bull was the sacred symbol of Apis. Cows were sacred to Isis. And, and the ram was sacred to Ammon. So in one night, the God of Israel comes and kills three of Egypt's gods. He's confronting. See, the kingdom is about confrontation. And it's about confrontation first in the spirit. The ninth plague is where the sun, the sun just disappears and darkness comes over the land. And, and here's what I love about one of the little phrases that's, that's in the Bible about the ninth plague. It says that when darkness came on the land, it was darkness you could feel. Y'all ever been in a place that was so dark you could feel it? How many of y'all have ever been in the mammoth cave when they turn the lights off? That's freaky. I mean, you can feel it. I, I've done it several times. They, you know, they take you into the cave. They turn the lights off. You can put your hand right here, and it's not there. You go like, and you can feel it. There's, there's this, there's a thick cloud of darkness that comes on you. So a, a thick cloud of darkness comes all over Egypt. And what's the message? The message is this. Egypt has a God. His name is Ra, and he's the sun God. He's one of the most important gods. Ra has been blotted out by who? The God of Israel who conquers. And so he's been confronted. Here's the other interesting thing about the ninth plague. Darkness falls on all of Egypt except where? Goshen. And the children of Israel, they live in light. So, man, Lord, let us, let us be a Goshen people. And then finally, Pharaoh's son... And all of the firstborn in Egypt are killed by the death angel of the Lord. And this is where the, the, this is where the confrontation probably, in some ways, comes to us, at least a spiritual climax, and it's beginning to break into the military. Here, here's the point. Pharaoh and his son were considered to be deities. And so in one night, angel of death comes over all of Israel, and Pharaoh's own son is dead. And, and the message to Pharaoh is loud and clear. The God of Israel... He is confronting every single God in your land, and he will take over. And so when the kingdom comes, there's confrontation. It starts in the spirit, but then it ends up being physical. Kingdom intervention. This part is the military intervention. You can turn on over to chapter 14. This is where God gets serious about taking care of the Egyptian military. And so what I want to tell you at this point is this, that the kingdom is not just a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God is not just a spiritual reality. It's a physical reality. Okay? <clears throat> We're just going to read a couple verses to kind of get our brain around this. Chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out in the desert to die? 
This is awesome response. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And so I just wanted to highlight this scripture to tell you that, that when, you become, when you become a person who's convinced that the kingdom of heaven is something that you want to give your life to, and you begin to, and you encounter God, and you, and you meet with Him, and he gives, you, he gives you a call, and He gives you a purpose, and He sends you out, and, and He sends you to the people, and you go to the people that He's sending you to, a lot of times people, because of bondage, they don't even realize they're in bondage. Do you realize that bondage will make you say crazy things? You realize that bondage, you realize that slavery and bondage will make you say crazy things. Slavery and bondage will cause you to say, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? Who said that? The, the Israelites said that. The same Israelites who had just seen the Lord time and again, ten plagues after another, he had seen the Lord bash the gods of Egypt, and, he had, and they, had, they had seen the hand of God protect them in Goshen. Would God be the kind of God who would cause deep darkness to come over all the land, yet not in Goshen? Would God be the kind of God who would, who would kill all of, the, all of the herds of Egypt, yet not those in, in Goshen, and then bring you out in the desert and kill you by the Egyptians. Is he that kind of God? Well, I mean, it's easy for us to say, no, he's not that kind of God. But there's something about bondage that literally messes your mind up. There's, that's the thing about being deceived. You don't even know you're deceived. This just gives us a picture of how deceived the, the, the children of Israel were about themselves and who the God that was, was delivering them from. And so when you, when you go on ministry, when you get into ministry and you begin to deliver people, don't be surprised when they say, I don't know, I, I, maybe I just want to stay addicted. I've had people say that. You mess with people long enough, and they'll say, you know, uh, these drugs are ruining my family. You know, and then you get right down to brass tacks, and you're like, well, they're not so bad. I mean, if she'll just quit screaming at me, can't I, see, can I keep the drugs? And you think, well, that's an extreme example. That's not real. No, it's, it's incredibly real. I, I will encounter that example, you know, three or four times a year at least. Bondage messes with you. Bondage messes with you. So then, God, he, he, insert, he inserts his plan. We'll pick up in verse 21. This is where Moses begins to stretch his hands out over the sea. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and he turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through on the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. And so I just want to say one thing to you guys about, about deliverance, and I want to say something to you about, about bondage being broken in your life. Sometimes it doesn't come quick. Sometimes the most dramatic miracle that, that will ever happen in your life won't be a fast one. Do you all realize that in the Scripture? Do you all see that little line there? It says, all night. It took God all night. Could, not, could God have not have, have just done this and let it be? Could he have not just inserted his two mighty hands into the sea and then went right and left? Could he have not done that? Well, of course he could have done it. But for some reason, God sends a wind and it takes all night long. And so sometimes deliverance takes a while. Sometimes the most dramatic encounter of your entire life will come after a season where you think God is doing nothing and in fact he's preparing to do the most amazing thing ever. Let's pick up in verse 26, because this is where they win. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed, followed Israel into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through on dry ground. With a, water, with a wall of water on their right and on their left, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. Now, this is R-rated. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. They feared the Lord. So this was kingdom intervention. It's kingdom breakthrough. God finally does away with, with, the, uh, with the enemies of Israel, with, with Israel's oppressors. And we've already talked about this a little bit. But what's the response? The response is worship. The response is worship. Moses and Miriam and, and all of their, all of, I imagine a gang of them. I don't even think it was just one. I think everybody just started singing I, because everybody has a song, you know. And so, church, one of the things I want to put out before us is, you know, it's one of the ways that we can keep ourselves tied to being a kingdom people is by keeping ourselves balanced in worship. If we'll just keep responding to the Lord, I mean, we just keep ourselves in the place of moving in his kingdom. You say, well, man, you know, God, he's, he's not done anything for me. He's at least brought you out of darkness and put you into light. I mean, at least. And if he never did anything else, it'd be worth singing forever. Just that. I mean, if God never did another thing in your whole life, if you just lived, if you lived miserable, miserable, oppressed, beat up, abused for the rest of your life, as a, even as a young person, if you're 20 years old and you live the next 65 years of your left, life, miserable, abused, and oppressed, if you know the Lord, then you've got a reason to sing every time we get together. And so there's just something about responding to God. It's the kingdom response. And it ends up with the kingdom confession, which we, which we already read this morning, which is chapter 15, verse 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And the Hebrew word there for reign is, is the word, it's a root word from the word uh, for king, which is melech. And so what God, what the people are really saying is, there's been, a, there's been a light that's gone off in, 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 in the children of Israel's mind. There's been, there's been revelation has entered the scene. Verse 18 is proof that revelation has just entered the scene. And it's revelation for the first time that, that God is not just their deliverer, but he's their king. And he will rule forever and ever. And I love, I love what it says in verse 31 of chapter 14. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses, their servant. There's something about the kingdom intervention that causes people to see God for who he really is. You want to know one of the reasons that people don't serve the Lord as king? You want to know one of the reasons that people don't obey the Lord as king? It's because there's been so very little kingdom intervention in their life. And so, church, one of the things we have to be ultimately committed to is to preaching the gospel of the kingdom and giving God a chance to be king in the room. When, when, when the powers of heaven break into the here and now, it, it forever settles who's in control and who's boss. Kingdom confession. The Lord, he will reign forever and ever. And so what does this mean? It means at least three things. Number one, it means that God is for his people. Some of you guys in here, some of, some of y'all in here are, are convinced that God's not for you. I'm here to tell you he's for you. 
It means, it means something else as well. It means that God is on the side of the oppressed. Anybody in here impressed? Anybody in here ever been oppressed? When you're oppressed, God is on your side. Now, don't be silly. Don't go looking for oppression just so you can get on God's side. Because <laughs> number one is still true. God is for his people. But even in the midst of oppression, God is really for you. And here's the third thing it means. It means that God's rule, when God breaks in with his rule, it means freedom for his people. Let, let me, I want to break out on that just for a second. What that really means is this, that when the kingdom of heaven is established in an area, it means it's good for the people. Uh, uh, let me say it in a different way. The best thing for you and me is for God to be king. The, the, best, thing, the best thing that can happen to you or to I is for God to be king in your life. The, the, the most rational thought that you can have ever, the most rational and, and sensible thought that you can have is, God is my boss. He's my king. Because the kingdom of heaven is actually what's best for you. You know, you know a lot of times we come and we meet the Lord and we, and we read the Bible and we think, oh man, it's just more rules. I've, just, I've got like 97 rules to, to follow and I can't even follow the first three. I mean, I feel like that sometimes. Maybe you do too. But it's really not true. Here's the deal. God's rule and his reign, it's what's best for you. Or, or, or sometimes we have this secret thought. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I, I sometimes do. I have this secret thought. I'm like, okay, I know the 97 rules, and I, 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 and I theoretically know that they're good for me. But, man, number 94 really bugs me, and I actually would rather not do 94. In fact, I would, I would like to do the opposite of 94. You know? I would like to indulge myself irregardless of what 94 says. I would like to indulge myself. And, and so sometimes there's this thought that says, you know, this is not good for you. And what I want to tell you is that when God is king, it's really it's what's best for you. When the kingdom of heaven breaks in, it's what's best. You know, it, it's, really, it's really best when husbands and wives stay together. Irregardless of what the issues are, it's best when they stay together. Some of y'all have experienced some of what I'm talking about, and you know what I mean. So God is for his people. God, he's on the side of the oppressed. And when God rules, it means freedom for his people. So there we have it, picture of the kingdom in the book of Exodus. But we need to respond to the Lord this morning. I want to give everybody in the room a chance to respond. Um, as I was preparing this week, I just felt like the Lord wanted to break through and that he wanted to be everybody's king this morning. I feel like the Lord wants to, uh, I feel like the Lord wants to show up this morning and he wants to show up, not just here, but he wants to show up in your situation. You see, the, the kingdom of heaven is not located necessarily in a location. The kingdom of heaven is an event. The kingdom of heaven is the inbreaking of God's power into a situation. So I feel like the Lord wants to just show up in some of your all situations. Uh, I feel like there's some people in the room who are oppressed. And, and when I say oppressed, you know what I mean, oppressed. Um, I don't have to call you out. You know you, know, you, you know, you know, that's me. I'm oppressed. And, and I feel like that takes uh, the, the form of, takes a lot of different shapes. But the one thing I really felt like the Lord wanted to deal with this morning is uh, the Lord wants to deal with uh, addiction this morning and, and all kinds of addiction, just all kinds. And I've been carrying this with me for about four days. I really feel like one of the things that the Lord wants to break through and give people relief from this morning is addiction to prescription drugs. You know, it's, it's real secret. It's e this is an easy one to hide. 
Because when you're addicted pr to prescription drugs, you've always got that, that, that prescription that says the doctor's okay with it. But here's what I want to tell you. I feel like there's some people in the room this morning who, who are addicted to prescription drugs in a way, and it's beginning to run your life. Y you find yourself going to doctors, and when that doctor won't give you what you want, you make an appointment with another doctor. And I feel like there's, there's just some people here, and the Lord wants to, wants to break through for you this morning. So we're going to give you a chance to respond in a little while this morning. Uh, ministry team, why don't you guys come on up? But, but the Lord is on the side of his people. He's on the side of people who are in pain this morning. If, you, if you're sick, if you've got a disease, the Lord is on your side this morning, and he wants to break in with his kingdom power. And, um, and so we just want to see what else the Lord might want to do this morning. Why don't a couple of you guys go over there as well? All right, Cliff, you got some words you want to share? All right, this is our ministry team, you all, for some of you all who are new, and these are just guys who have been asking the Lord for, for words this week, and a lot of times they have some some words of knowledge that the Lord might want to minister this morning. Go ahead, Cliff. Um, ma'am in the pink shirt. Um, uh, yeah, you. Yeah. Um, what's your name? Judy. Um, hey, I just see the Lord like, uh, like you're in a relay race, and like God's handing you the baton, and it's like it's it's like it's yours. And um, I also see the Lord is uh, like you're fruit from a good tree, like your life is just pleasing to him and he's going to produce even greater fruit in your life and um i also see the lord he's gonna he's just giving you a car so um i'll just speak that um also the lord's gonna heal sore throats um allergies